0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Today is not Thursday, but still we got news. And man, I'm glad I don't record my podcast first thing in the morning because Woj Bomb! We got to start the day with a Woj Bomb. The NBA has set Their format for a return to play at the end of July, and I could not be more happy. man, we needed some good news these days. Man, we needed some good news these days. The NBA, as tweeted by the great Woj, is inviting 22 teams to Orlando, 13 Western Conference teams, Nine Eastern Conference teams. They will play eight regular season games per team. So it has nothing to do with what their schedule looked like prior to the shutdown. There will be a play-in situation regarding the eighth seed. The league's return will run from July 31st to October the 12th. And the NBA's Board of Governors will vote tomorrow... To ratify the agreement. But based on the way Woj is tweeting. That appears to be a foregone conclusion. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Man. We needed some good news. Woo. I'll give you guys the tweets. Just in case you haven't seen them yet. Uh, the... He, Woj, as he likes to quote, tweet himself. So I'll I'll do my best to sort of cluster these things. Uh, The one that announced basically what was happening occurred 50 minutes ago as the time of recording this podcast, about 9.15 Pacific time right now. The NBA's Board of Governors has a 12.30 Eastern call tomorrow with the intention of approving the league's plan for a 22-team return to play in Orlando. Each of the 22 teams will play eight regular season games, for seeding purposes for the playoffs. Joining the 16 current playoff teams, the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Suns, the Kings, and the Spurs out of the Western Conference and the Washington Wizards in the Eastern Conference. If the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth seed, the number eight team makes the playoffs immediately. If those two teams are tighter than four games, or if there are more than two teams that are tighter than fourth games, a play-in tournament will commence. The play-in tournament requires double elimination for the eighth seed and a single elimination for the ninth seed. What I don't know from Woj's tweets so far this morning are what happens if Two teams are within four games. I'm guessing that it's just the closest among them. As of this very moment, and I know everybody's going to be like, this is all to get Zion into the playoffs, and potentially, yes, it could be. As of right now, the Grizzlies are three and a half games up on the Blazers, the Pels, the Kings, and four games up on the Spurs. They're six games up on the Phoenix Suns, who have a very rough road ahead. But I think they're probably excited to be coming back. At least something to play for. That was a team that was trying to compete this year. So I think they're happy about it. Wizards currently five and a half games back of the Orlando Magic. If I was a betting man, and I am, and I'm guessing we will probably have odds from odds makers on who's making the playoffs, who has the eighth seed, and all those types of futures will be coming back out of the woodwork. Unfortunately, this likely means that all season win totals are uh, dead bets now. Those are off the board. I don't think you're going to get paid. You're going to likely get refunded, whether you had an over, under, and whether it looked like it was going to win or lose because they're not playing 82 games. Most likely, when you placed that wager, it said that they needed to be an 82-game regular season, so that's off the board. However, based on what I'm seeing right now, I would venture to guess that the Eastern Conference playoffs will probably not change, at least the eight teams that are in it. Don't know if the Magic might pass the Nets for the seventh seed. That's a possibility. Pacers, Sixers tied right now. In the 5-6 and slots, Heat are two games up on each of those two teams, so they could potentially move around a little bit. And then you've got a little bit of space. Two-and-a-half games to get to Boston, another three games to get to Toronto, and then six-and-a-half to the Milwaukee Bucks up at the top of the heap. In the Western Conference, the Lakers are running away with the one seed, much like the Bucks are. They're five-and-a-half games up on the Clippers. Clippers have a a game-and-a-half spread between themselves and the Nuggets for the three-seed Jazz, game-and-a-half back of the Nuggets, Thunder and Rockets tied a game back of Utah. Those are the five and six seeds. Mavericks game and a half back of both the Thunder and Rockets, and then the Grizzlies seven games back of the Mavs. And that's when things get I don't want to say tight again, because Memphis does have a little bit of a gap. Uh but the Mavericks are sort of the cutoff for the upper echelon. And and you have to believe the NBA's the wee the reason they came up with this particular set of Uh, moving pieces is because number one in the Eastern conference you say, well, this hurts Orlando because now they're potentially going to be in a fight for the eight seed. If Washington canes a little bit of ground on them, they might have to have basically a best of three series to retain that spot. Well, because there's a big gap between the six and seven seeds in the Eastern conference. And then the seven and eight seeds are basically tied half game separating the two teams. One Orlando loss, basically, at this point. It it doesn't hurt Orlando, necessarily. It it allows the Wizards to keep playing. It allowed the league to bring an additional team from the Eastern Conference. And it gives the 7 and 8 seeds a little more incentive to fight for the 7. Right? Because it's basically punishing those two teams equally while giving the league an opportunity to bring back a couple extra teams, one of which comes from the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference... Yes, this does punish Memphis, but it's not like you could argue any other teams in the West deserved to be in that play-in spot. Memphis was the clear 8 seed, as in clearly not the 7, clearly not the 9, 10, 11, 12 spots. And so if they handle their business, the Grizzlies handle their business and put any more space between themselves and the teams chasing them, they get the 8 seed. And if they don't, They get to play a best of three, effectively, where if they win one, they advance. But if they lose two, they're done. It's a pretty good spot to be. It's not even a traditional best of three. It's a best of three for the underdog. Well, not even really that. It's winner-take-all for the underdog, and it's winner-take-all, but you get a mulligan if you're the better team. So That's a big advantage. You got to win one out of two. It's not best of three. And the other team has to win one out of one. All of this to get to see Zion for eight more games. But you know what? I think most of the teams are going to be pretty satisfied. Phoenix, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, Portland, all those teams felt like they still had a, not necessarily legitimate, but a claim to fighting for a playoff spot. Minnesota, Golden State were effectively dead in the water. In the Eastern Conference, you might have been able to make a case that Charlotte wasn't completely dead yet, but I don't think that I would go along with that case. Washington was really the only Eastern Conference non-playoff team that wasn't completely dead. They were near death. Washington was in a medically induced coma at this point, but they'll get a little bit of an opportunity. And Orlando and Brooklyn, frankly, are going to have to soil themselves to even get to that play-in situation. The Wizards have to gain two games on Orlando to force the play-in where they have to win one winner take all and Orlando even if they biff it and get to that point or Brooklyn gets to that point they can still advance by just winning one out of two before getting wiped out of the playoffs in emphatic fashion by either the Raptors or Bucks we've also had a lot of players that are likely going to be back from injury at the end of all of this stuff a lot of the lingering things so that'll be kind of cool as well though we've heard John Wall isn't playing anyway uh but the rest of these teams that were dealing with all sorts of dinged up players the sixers were battered and bruised going into the covid shutdown the raptors were slowly getting healthy but they were pretty beat up clippers were beat up pelicans have been in and out of injury all season long blazers have been beat up spurs have been beat up so it's, these all all these teams get to come back healthy if perhaps a bit out of shape. But I got two words for all of you guys that got to the end of that segment of the podcast and thought, but wait, but this, but that. Who cares? Who cares? It's back. The NBA's coming back. You can start the countdown. October 12th being the last day means that you'll probably have next season start on Christmas Day. They'll give him about two and change, close to two and a half months, break again, which, by the way, that's what we've had right now. We busted our offseason into two chunks. Man, I'm excited about that. Woo! Now, unfortunately... The sad part of all this is that the season doesn't start until July 31st, so we still have eight more weeks before we get to watch an NBA regular season game. I don't know if the team training camps are going to be televised, but you can bet I'll be watching them. And now, pressure's on you, baseball. Everybody else has a plan. Don't you screw this up. Just for a point of reference, by the way, from the moment the league shut down on March 11th, eight weeks from that was May 6th. So if you're thinking in your head, like, can I handle another eight weeks? We're well past that. If that makes you feel any better, I don't know. We're at 12 weeks today. So we're 12 weeks out of roughly 20 that we're going to be in this COVID shutdown for the NBA. We're on the downslope, folks. We're on the downslope. From a fantasy standpoint, this means a couple of things. Perhaps the biggest fantasy story here is that you have a couple of options. If you're in a, a traditional full-season fantasy league, you pretty much have to shut her down. You have to shut her down. I, I don't see how you keep it going, uh, particularly in a head-to-head league, because the schedules will have all changed, and eight teams are missing. I, I mean, I, it would take some serious gymnastics to find a way to continue any league, but head-to-head in particular... Uh, you're really up a creek. Roto, I could see a weird, there's like the the royal flush. There's like this one in whatever chance that you're actually going to come up with the right methodology to it. I don't even know why we're going through this exercise. But I think you could make the very, very flimsy argument that if you're in a games cap format and some teams, and you don't want to do the averaging method that we've talked about in this podcast at some significant length. By the way, that's the way easier thing to do right now. But let's say that you really don't like that. You could let the teams that are trailing in games played, this is in a games cap roto format, try to maximize games over the next, over the eight regular season games that the 22 teams are playing. So basically, if they have anyone on the eight teams that are out, they just drop them, pick somebody up. Uh you figure out which teams to freeze, meaning you set your upper threshold for games, and that'll probably be however many games the team in your league that has used up the most has played. So if you have a games cap of 82 at every position, you have 10 starting spots, you have 820 total games played. Let's say there's someone in your league that at the end of when the season shut down had used you know 740 of them or something like that. So that's your new games cap. And then anyone who is under... 740 can use games until they get to that mark the problem with that is that it's entirely unfair because you're going to have some teams that are going to lose their best players you know anybody who has Trey Young is not going to be able to play him anymore if you have Carl Anthony Towns he's not going to play D'Angelo Russell Steph not going to play John Collins, not going to play. Kevin Love, not going to play. Zach Levine, you get it. It's not everybody, but it's enough. It's enough to create an unnecessary imbalance. So maybe you're insane, and, you know, really, these are the types of things you could do, I think, if you don't have money on your league, where you're going for bragging rights, and you just kind of want the league to go on a little bit longer. But now that we know definitively that there are only 22 teams coming back, my strong recommendation is that, one, we waited to find out for real what was going to happen. There was never a reason to rush this decision. The only reason to rush this decision was to get payouts out a little bit quicker. But again, if your livelihood is, is right now sitting on whether or not you get your 125 bucks from your Fantasy League, you're putting too much money on your Fantasy League. I know there are extenuating circumstances at the moment, but you may want to rethink how much you're putting on your league. You should be able to wait an additional two months to get your fantasy winnings. This should not be what's making or breaking livelihood. So I I know there are going to be exceptions to that rule, but it's like with betting, you don't bet more than you can risk in, in any scenario. Meaning if the apocalypse comes... Are you going to be in really trouble if your $100 bet is sitting out there? You need it back. Well, then you shouldn't have placed it in the first place. So to me, the downside of waiting, which was people don't get paid quite as fast, far outweighed the upside of ending it quickly, which remained nothing. The upside of ending it fast was people get paid more quickly. The downside of ending it fast is you missed out on any other potential type of return well now we know what the return is going to be we can make the call which as it turned out would have been similar to just pulling the plug at the beginning anyway but now we know for real there was never a reason we needed to make our choice before the nba did now we know i think this is also going to make playoff leagues more popular this year if you haven't played in one of those they're fun and we'll probably talk a bit about them on the podcast because we're going to be starved for content here since we're likely not going to get a fantasy meaningful regular season game for six months. (laughs) Oh, my God. How do you host a fantasy basketball podcast when the games being played will not matter for nine months? Normally, we run an off-season in fantasy from April through roughly August. Then you can talk about fantasy draft season. So maybe we'll get into that by, I don't know, end of October after free agency. All right, fine. You know, four and a half more months. We have to figure out what to do here without viable regular season games. Let's not think about that. That's, that's, the, that's the sad part of all the things that are going on right now for uh, we fantasy folk. Fantasy uh, playoff leagues are, if you missed it, we talked about it very briefly last week, are leagues where... You draft players from the teams making the postseason. Everybody gets some number of players, 8, 10 players on their team. And all of your players start every day. When they are eliminated from the playoffs, they stop accruing stats for you. So it's all about striking a balance between grabbing the best players who might not be in it for as long. Like maybe you take Vooch, who may only play four or five playoff games but is going to be putting up big numbers, or do you take, I don't know, uh, Gary Harris, who's been pretty whack, but is probably going to play more like 7-10 to playoff games. So playoff formats, we'll talk about that, um, the playoffs will probably be, what, mid-August? So we'll get into that a little bit later on, but I think we have an idea, generally, of who's going to be in them. By the way, this is Fantasy NBA Today. This is a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. I mean, this is... I had every intention today of talking about my favorite free agent pickups and then doing uh, a podcast about the NBA's return tomorrow. But... I mean, damn it. The NBA made an announcement today! Mm-hmm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to get into all my favorite free agent pickups on today's show because there are nine of them, Uh, excuse me, 10 of them, and each one is probably going to take three to four minutes, which means this show would run well over an hour if we just started getting into them uh, partway through the podcast. So instead, I think today's show is really just going to focus on the giant NBA news of the day and what you should be doing with your fantasy league. Because now that we know for real, and we've been kicking these ideas around a little bit uh, since the league shut itself down. we've, We've been tossing these ideas up into the sky. What do you do with your fantasy leagues? Well, for one, leagues are done. Talked about that just a minute ago. Your league should be done. I know I made up some sort of weird fluff about what you could do to maybe try to squeeze a little bit more out of your non-money leagues, but look, at the end of the day, your league should be done. Done. Over. No additional games played. Nothing changes from this moment. The question isn't about what you should be doing from a game standpoint. The question is what you should be doing from a payout standpoint. We got the final results of the poll I started two days ago on Twitter, And it ended with 43% of head-to-head leagues where six teams make the playoffs and the top two teams get a bye. 43% of those leagues were won by the first-place team. 28% by the second-place team. 21% by a combination third- or fourth-place team. And only 8% of leagues were won by either the fifth or the sixth-seeds. I don't think that you can break it down quite that way, which is what I said on yesterday's podcast, but I do think that this gives us at least some kind of metric by which to break down your payouts. I think the first-place team who will be making a decent, a tidy profit in all of this, and again, let's assume you're in a 12-team $100 buy-in league, so there's $1,200 to distribute. If you're looking at the first-place team and you said, well, you're going to get, of this, they'd be pretty excited. That's $516. If you had to come back to them and say, you know what, I'm really sorry, we didn't get to play this thing out, you're going to get $400. They'd probably still feel pretty good, considering there was a lot of talk a few months ago of everybody just splitting the pot. So let's say the first place team... Gets 33%. That still leaves us 67% to split among 2nd through 6th, and maybe, if you're coming up on your playoffs, maybe like a 7th seed as well. 2nd place here, I told you, was listed as 28%. 28% of $1,200 is $336, so still a decent, a tidy profit. What if we told them they were only going to get 300, which would be 25%, which is exactly what we had talked about as the coin flip model. So first place gets 400, second place gets 300. We still got 500 bucks to play with. If the other four teams making your playoffs split that evenly, they each make a profit of 25 bucks, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world, but I'm inclined at this point, having looked through uh, all of the notes to say that 5th and 6th place get their buy-in back. Give them $100 apiece and just say, thanks for playing. You weren't going to win this league, but you made the playoffs, so you get a free roll the next year. That gives 3rd and 4th place $150 apiece. They each made a 50% profit on their investment when they, frankly, probably weren't going to win the league. And they should be They should be okay with that. If you get a ton of pushback from anyone in this format, it might be the third place team. And if they do, I'd be inclined to say, "Okay, we'll find you another 25 bucks." So they get 175 and fourth place gets 150. And maybe you take that 25 away from second place and they get 275 instead of 300. Although again, they got that first-round buy. To me, they should, first and second place may need to be getting their, their ducats. Maybe you take half from both. I don't care. Maybe you make that 287 from second place, you take 12 away from there, and you make it 388 for first place. Get creative. Get weird. If you have a seventh seed that hadn't been officially eliminated yet, I think they get half their buy-in back. So I'm inclined to give them fifty bucks in this format and find a place to piecemeal it together. Take eight bucks from everybody else. I don't care. Find a way. If you want fifth and sixth place to make sure that they get their buy-in back, take twelve bucks, basically, from the other teams. It's easy. It's very easy. Knock third place back down to 165, there's ten of your fifty bucks. Knock second place down to two seventy-five, there's another twelve. You're at 22 already. Knock first place down to 375. You got another 13 in your bucket. You're at 35 bucks already for that 7th place team. You only need to find another 15. I'm going to take 10 away from 4th place. They're getting 140. I only need 5 bucks. I'm going to take it from first place because they're still getting 370 at that point. So there's there you have my breakdown which we did with adjustments due to people complaining here on the fly. I'm going to make sure that I did this right. And I did. So there's your breakdown. 370, 275, 165, 140, 100, 150. And honestly, that breakdown probably favors 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th far more than it should. Because based on the results of our polling, first place should be getting far more than that. And second place should be getting far more than that. And the combination of third and fourth place still should have been getting less than second place. By a fair amount. Not only did third and fourth place combine to match second place, they actually had more in this scenario. They were at 305. That's 25, roughly, and a half percent. And our poll had them at 21. Fifth and sixth place, they were polling at 8% combined, and they got $200. They got a sixth. They got double of what they should be getting. Seventh place, we didn't even poll, but, you know, they never win. (laughs) In any event, the reason I think that this way probably gets you as a commissioner through the year without getting screamed at too much is that first place still turns a decent profit. No, they're not going to get the whatever first place is going to get, five or six hundred bucks in your league, which sucks for them. But you know what? It didn't end. And the fact that they didn't have to play the playoffs and they get more than everyone else because they effectively won the regular season, I think they should probably be okay with that. Second place, same deal. They didn't win the regular season, but they're getting more than everybody besides first place because they had a better team. They had a better chance of winning if it finished. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh shouldn't complain at all because generally they aren't winning leagues anyway. I mean, you saw from our polling, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, all combined are winning fewer than 30% of leagues. And yet here, in this scenario... All of those teams combined were at, what, $555? That's 46%. That's way over 30%. The only way we could have gotten more info is if we broke out third and fourth place separately. Because if third place was like 14 and fourth place was seven and then fifth was five and sixth was three, then there should have been maybe a little bit more of a curve to it. But as it stands right now, all of the teams that had a decent chance to win are making a profit, and the ones that have a better chance than others will be making a bigger one. Frankly, as someone who has a 6th place team in a head-to-head money league, I'd actually be pretty happy to get my buy-in back. I'll say it right there. I'd be pretty happy to, to have this format. I have a 1st place team in a head-to-head league, and I have a 6th place team. And the one I'd be more upset about is the first place one, because I thought I was going to win that league. But at the same time, if someone's like, you know what, here, you get about $300 in profit. Don't complain. You're in better shape than everybody else. My sixth place team, which frankly, I don't think had a shot to win that league. If I get a free roll to roll into next year and do better. Yeah, that feels pretty good. So that's where I'm at on that one. I'm gonna, I'm by the way, I'm gonna transcribe pretty much all of this over to Twitter at some point today. That's at Dan Vespers, D A N B E S B R I S. Over on the roto side, to me, the equation is actually simpler because if you're in a roto weekly league, meaning you don't have a games cap, your league is just done. Whoever was winning won, first, second, third place. That's just how it is. I don't know how your payouts are done. If you fell out of the money at the very last second, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know Brew was on the show uh, a few weeks back, and he mentioned he fell from second to third place on the last day of the actual regular season. That sucks for him. It does. But that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. You can't do anything about it. Because in weekly formats, you're maximizing your games every week. You're not using the best player every time. You're using the guy that's going to have the best individual week. If you have a clunker who's going to play five games or a superstar playing one, you play the clunker in that spot. You get the extra games. There's nothing you can do between now and the end of the year that makes up for what you did or didn't do to that point. That's the easiest format of all. It's just done. Whatever it is, it is. If you're in a Games Cap Daily Roto format, we've talked about this before, You best get your Excel spreadsheets out and start taking averages. It's hard for me to explain specifically what I mean by this. So I'll post some screenshots over on my Twitter feed as I go through what I think leagues should be doing at this point. But I'll see if I can explain it with words to the best of my ability. If you are... Taking averages, you're basically looking at the games played column for each team in your league, and it's a way to remove the advantage or disadvantage any one team might have by using more games than another club. For example, in a league that, frankly, I will be winning when the averages are sorted out, there's a team that has used something like a hundred more games than uh, another club in that same league. It's not even it's out of the realm of normal. So you even it out. It's very simple. it's very straightforward. you even it out. You take their games played, let's say they've you know they've used up you know 760 of their games or something like that. you take their games played. And instead of looking at the 10,000 points they've scored, you divide 10,000 by 760, and you get, okay, well, this is the points per game that that team has acquired over the course of the regular season. Thus, if there's a team that is at 9,999 points on the league scoreboard, they would actually be below the other team, even though, let's say, they've used 30 fewer games, 730 games. Well, that's an easy one to figure out because... Eventually, the team that had used 760 games was going to hit their game's cap, and the other one, in one more game, was going to pass them in that number. They were clearly the better team in the points category, but the only thing keeping us from seeing that on the league page is that one team had used 30 more games than the other. So it's very important to translate this into averages. Here's the other problem and I'll illustrate this as best I can via a a spoken word podcast when I can't use visual aids, uh, you know, without going to Twitter after the the podcast is over. Sometimes when you do the math on this stuff, you're going to find that teams are really close together both before and after you run averages on the different clubs. For instance, and I think there are actually people in this league that are listening to the podcast, so I won't use any names. I ran the averages on one of my Roto Leagues, And the top two teams have 71 and 70 roto points, respectively, when it all shakes out. Third place team is at 68. Fourth place team is at 65. You could make a pretty reasonable argument that the top three teams were all damn close to one another. Three points separating first and third. But even if you didn't want to go that far, first and second place being separated by one point is pretty much nothing. And I don't think you can give the first place prize to the team that had one extra roto point, especially if they were the team that had used fewer games to that point. Because that meant that team had probably been playing more of their superstars, more of their best players. And the other one had probably been playing a couple of slightly lesser players. And the team that had played fewer games was actually on pace to be a little bit under at final horn, meaning they were going to have to play more guys that were in their top tier. They do have the advantage of being able to track down specific categories in the way that they sort of chase teams down. But if you run the averages on your league and you find out that two teams are separated by one point, you almost definitely have to combine the payouts for those two spots. So in this case, it would be first and second place. You combine the payouts and split them down the middle or really damn close to down the middle. Like I don't know, again, if this was a $1200 league and say first and second place get 500 and 300 respectively, probably more than that come to think of it, but whatever. Instead of splitting that 800 400 a piece, maybe you go 450 350 or something like that. Or maybe it uh, it wasn't going to be quite as as close. Maybe first and second place were 600 and 300. Instead of getting 450 a piece, maybe you go 500 400 or something like that. But it almost definitely shouldn't be the 600-300 if the league had finished with one team above the other. Because we're we're fudging the numbers a little bit here. We're trying to get the fairest possible outcome of these values. But there are always little things that get in the way. I mean, you, we don't know what these teams were going to do the rest of the regular season. You could try to figure out which team was getting healthier or which team had a better chance of actually hitting the games cap barrier, all of these little things. You know, if there are about 20% of the season left, who actually could get to that mark in games played? But to me, at that point, the commissioner, you're doing too much. You're doing too much when the much simpler and fairer solution at that point is just to say, look, you guys are basically tied. You guys were a virtual tie. You're splitting your two pots. What if that happens between third and fourth place? Like, what if your league pays out only top three, but the third and fourth plate teams are in a virtual tie? Well, they then split the third place pot. That's just the way it goes. We've been left with a sh, you know hand. We've been dealt a a poop hand here this season in terms of trying to sort out how fantasy leagues are going. Some teams are going to maybe get a little bit less than they're hoping they would have, and others are probably going to get a tiny bit more. And honestly, there are leagues where the fourth-place team may have had one of the best claims to winning. Like, maybe they were about to make a run. They're just going to be satisfied with whatever payout they get. Leagues, only join leagues you have a commissioner you trust. That's the big lesson from all of this, because you never know what sort of insane crap is going to go down. You need to be able to trust your commissioner. You need to know that your commissioner is taking the time that we are here on this podcast to come up with the most, the fairest possible way to distribute funds. There are a lot of teams in your league that have no claim to a single penny at the end of this season, but there are some that have a claim to some. Does that make sense? Some have a claim to some. And so it's our job as league commissioners to figure out the right way to distribute this. Not the way that's going to make everybody happy, but the way that's going to make everyone the least annoyed. If someone's happy, you probably did it wrong. If everyone is just a tiny bit annoyed, you probably did it right. Commissioners, reach out to your leagues. Let them know the process that you're working through. Let them know you have their best interest at heart. Let them know you're not trying to set this up to help yourself. The league that I was just talking about, my team was actually on a run. Fifth place. That had been in eighth, I think, what, a month before. It's too bad for me. Ran out of time. Shouldn't have been that far back. And the one I'm in first place, well, let's hope the averages bear that out. Okay, you got to go with the fairest possible method. It's the only way this thing this the only way this thing works, and you're gonna have to do some splitting, and people are gonna have to be okay with that. Other reasons to collect money before the season starts, <laughs> so something like this happens. The commissioner can distribute, and guess what? If someone gets pissed and leaves your league, screw them. You can find somebody else. I promise. Especially if you're listening to this podcast, because when people start joining leagues in October this year normally July, August, we have plenty for you. We got people we can throw into your league. You'll be fine. They weren't a good person anyway. If you're, as a commissioner, working this hard and people are still getting pissed at you, you're not the bad guy. League members who are not the commissioner, please be understanding. If your commissioner is working as hard as I am and as I'm suggesting they do, Go easy on them. And if they don't know what to do, point them to this episode of the podcast. Point them to my Twitter. I'm happy to walk people through what I believe is the fairest way to end things this fantasy season. But you know what? We did a lot of digging today. We worked through a lot of scenarios. And at the end of it all, it's coming back! It's coming back. Hot dang. It's coming back. This is fantasy NBA today. Holy smokes. So excited. Uh if LA would lift its damn curfew, I could get my schedule undiscombobulated. Back to being combobulated, I guess. I'm going to combobulate my schedule and I'll finally get our buddy Steve on the podcast. He, sh- he should be mad at me right now, but I don't know that he is. Steve, you're allowed to be mad at me right now because this is taking way too long. I was supposed to talk to Steve over the weekend, and I just keep screwing it up. Uh, but we'll get Steve Vidovich on the podcast here shortly. I promise you this. We will also go over my best free agent pickups at some point in the next couple of shows. But hey, I got nothing but time at this point. Sit back, relax, set your timer. We're eight weeks and two days. From the NBA, coming back. So long, everybody. This has been a HoopBall presentation.